everyone, I'm your host Zainab. Today we are going to talk about some legal cases you may or may not have heard of. America has come a long way. Some of the most important cases in our history will be talked about today. These topics are what helped shape the United States we know now. This country still has a lot of work to be done, however, we could still learn and use these lessons to push us forward. The first case is Brown v. Board of Education. In 1954, the Supreme Court justices ruled unanimously that racial segregation of children in public schools was unconstitutional. Linda Brown, a nine-year-old girl living in Kansas, was denied entrance into an all-white elementary school. She was forced to go to school miles away. Oliver Brown, her father, filed a class action suit against the Board of Topeka, Kansas in 1951. There were other similar lawsuits filed. These all fell under the Brown v. Board of Education. Oliver Brown claimed that the all-white schools were in fact not equal for black children. This violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, which says no state can deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Thurgood Marshall, who was a lawyer for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, led the charge. He argues that segregation of schools violated the 14th Amendment. He also argued that the white schools were of much higher quality than the school for blacks. In 1896, the Supreme Court ruled in Plessy v. Ferguson that said that racially segregated public facilities were legal so long as the facilities for black people and whites were equal. The ruling did not allow for African Americans to share the same buses, schools, and other public facilities as whites, known as Jim Crow laws and established a separate but equal doctrine that would stand for the next six decades. When it came to making a decision on this case, the justices were divided. Chief Justice Fred M. Vinson held the opinion that the Plessy verdict should stand. However, in September 1953, before Brown v. Board of Education was to be heard, Vinson died, and President Eisenhower replaced him with Earl Warren and the, the then governor of California. Earl Warren was able to get a unanimous verdict against school segregation. Issued on May 17, 1954, Warren says, In the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place, as segregated schools are inherently unequal. As a result, the court ruled that the plaintiffs were being deprived of the equal protection of the laws guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. The Supreme Court did not specify how exactly this will be integrated, but they asked for further arguments about it. In May 1955, the court issued a second opinion. They placed future desegregation cases to lower federal courts and directed district courts and school boards to proceed with desegregation. The court's final decision was that separate educational facilities are inherently unequal. Earl Warren wrote, we must look at the effect of segregation itself on public education. They didn't focus on equal opportunity to go to school. They looked at how segregation affects society. The court says separating students solely because of their race, race generates a feeling of inferiority. Although the Supreme Court's decision in Brown v. Board of Education didn't achieve school desegregation on its own, the ruling fueled the developing civil rights movement in the United States. This also triggered the resistance across the South. Some of the Southerners then went into resistance campaigns because of the decision. Many openly violated and disobeyed the law. 
hundred members of Congress pledged to oppose the Brown ruling through all unlawful means. This helped spark the Civil Rights Movement, which showed itself a decade later in the Civil Rights Act, which banned segregation in all public facilities, and the Voting Rights Act, which outlawed discriminatory voting restrictions. In 1955, a year after the Brown v. Board of Education decision, that's when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the Montgomery, Alabama bus. Her arrest sparked the Montgomery bus boycott that would lead to other boycotts, sit-ins, and demonstrations, and many of them were led by Martin Luther King Jr. Passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, backed by enforcement by the Justice Department, began the process of process of desegregation. This landmark piece of civil rights legislation was followed by the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and the Fair Housing Act of 1968. In this next segment, we're going to talk about Loving v. Virginia, 1967. Loving v. Virginia was a Supreme Court case that struck down state laws banning interracial marriage in the United States. Richard, a white construction worker, and Mildred, a woman of mixed African-American and Native American ancestry, were longtime friends who had fallen in love. In June 1958, they exchanged wedding vows in Washington, D.C., where interracial marriage was legal, and then they came back home to Virginia. On July 11th, 1958, just five weeks after their wedding, the Lovings were woken in their bed at about 2 a.m., and they were arrested by the local sheriff. Richard and Mildred were indicted on charges of violating Virginia's anti-miscegenation law, which deemed interracial marriage as a felony. When the couple pleaded guilty the following year, Judge Leon Basile sentenced them to one year in prison, but suspended the sentence on the condition that they would leave Virginia and that they would not return together for a period of 25 years. Following the court case, the Lovings were forced to leave Virginia and relocate to Washington, D.C. The couple lived in the nation's capital for several years, and they raised three children, sons Sidney and Donald and daughter Peggy. But of course they missed their hometown. So they returned five years later to visit Mildred's relatives and they were arrested a second time. Their marriage was deemed illegal according to Virginia state law with the help of the American Civil Liberties Union or the ACLU. The Lovings appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court which ruled unanimously that the so-called anti-miscegenation statutes were unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. The decision is often cited as a moment in the dismantling of the Jim Crow laws. And miscegenation is any marriage or interbreeding among different races. Inspired by the civil rights movement, Mildred decided to fight back. In 1963, Mildred Loving wrote a letter to the U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy asking for assistance. And then Kennedy referred the Lovings to the American Civil Liberties Union, which agreed to take their case. 
The Lovings began their legal battle in November 1963 with the aid of Bernard Cohen and Philip Hirschkop, two young ACLU lawyers. The couple filed a motion asking for Judge Bazile to vacate their conviction and set aside their sentences. When Bazile refused, Cohen and Hirschkop took the case to the Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals, which also upheld the original ruling. Following another appeal, the case made its way to the United States Supreme Court in April 1967. During arguments before the Supreme Court, Virginia's Assistant Attorney General Robert D. McLewain defended his, his state's anti-miscegenation law and compared it to similar regulations against incest and polygamy. Cohan and Hirschkop, meanwhile, argued that Virginia statute was illegal under the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which guarantees all citizens due process and equal protection under the law. During one exchange, Hirschkop stated that Virginia's interracial marriage law and others like it were rooted in racism and white supremacy. These are not health and welfare laws, he argued. These are slavery laws, pure and simple. The Supreme Court announced this ruling in Loving v. Virginia on June 12, 1967, in a unanimous decision. The justices found that Virginia's interracial marriage law violated the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Under our Constitution, the freedom to marry or not marry a person of another race resides with the individual and cannot be infringed by the state, Chief Justice Earl Warren wrote. The landmark ruling not only overturned the Loving's 1958 criminal conviction, it also struck down laws against interracial marriage in 16 U.S. states, including Virginia. And after a successful case, the Loving's got to live a quiet life freely in Virginia. After the Loving v. Virginia, interracial marriages increased across the United States. In 1967, 3% of new marriages in the country were interracial. Now, over 17% of new marriages are interracial. Loving v. Virginia has changed the lives of many people. case today is about a young man who did not know that his two failed attempts to get into medical school would lead to a landmark decision by the United States Supreme Court. Regents of the University of California v. Bakke, 1978. At 34, Alan Bakke, a Caucasian male, applied to UC Davis Medical School. Bakke had good recommendations, GPA, and scores on the MCAT admissions test, but was rejected in 1973 and 1974. UC Davis had an affirmative action plan that set up a two-tier admissions policy for medical school, where of 100 spots in each first-year class, 16 were set aside for minority applicants. Applicants for the 16 spots did not have to meet the same GPA or MCAT scores as other applicants. Baki sued in Superior Court charging the university with reverse discrimination. President, President Lyndon B. Johnson said that equal opportunity is not enough. Affirmative action was necessary to truly make the system equal for all. This made a lot of people debate whether or not it violates the 14th Amendment. 
University of California at Davis established a special admissions program for minority students applying. This was in light of affirmative action. As I mentioned, 16 spots were set aside for minority students. Interestingly, these, these type of programs are sometimes called reverse discrimination. In 1973, a student in the original program would have an average of a 3.49 GPA. In the minority program, the average GPA would be a 2.88. Warren E. Berger was the chief of justice in this case. The court ruled in favor of Alan Bakke saying that racial quotas violated equal protection under the law in the 14th Amendment. The court ordered that Bakke be admitted to the University of California. It helped to find the boundaries of the Equal Protection Clause and said that racial quotas were unconstitutional. Bakke was a landmark decision by the, the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, it upheld affirmative action, allowing race to be one of the several factors in admissions policy. Alan Bakke enrolled at the UC Davis Medical School on September 25, 1978. The Supreme Court's decision in Bakke was announced on June 28, 1978. The justices had six opinions. None of them in full had the support of a majority of the court. Justice Powell delivered the judgment of the court. Four justices, Berger, Stewart, Rehnquist, and Stevens, joined with him to strike down the minority admissions program and admit Bakke. The four other justices, Brennan, White, Marshall, and Black Moon, dis disagreed from that portion of the decision, but joined with Powell to allow affirmative action under some circumstances. They also joined with Powell to reverse that portion of the judgment of the California Supreme Court that forbade the university to consider race in the admissions process. In 1996, Californians banned the state's use of race as a factor to consider public school admissions policy. The university's Board of Regents voted to end race as a factor in admission. They added new policies to make the student body more diverse and allowed the top 4% of students in California high schools to get guaranteed admission. Today, any type of discrimination in admissions will not be tolerated. If you enjoyed this episode, a couple interesting and conversation-starting cases worth researching are Obergefell v. Hodges or Roe v. Wade. Thank you for listening.